0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sustainable-ish podcast. Thank you so much for being here as ever. Marvellous to have you with me. Now, before we dive on into today's episode, just a quick heads up. <laughs> Don't know why I laughed at that. Uh, to let you know that I am opening the doors this week to the Naked Mums uh, Clubhouse, Eco Clubhouse. Can't even remember what it's called. <laughs> The Knackered Mums Eco Clubhouse. This is my membership club. You don't have to be a knackered mum. You can be a grandma or a step or even a dad. Uh, but the uh, you do have to be a little bit tired, a little bit overwhelmed, a little bit feeling like you're juggling with all the things and trying to be eco is just another thing on the to-do list to do. Um, if you would like a bit of support, if you would like a bit of accountability, if you would like some monthly themes, if you would like to hear the dog shaking in the background, <laughs> then do come and join us. It's just a wonderfully supportive community of similarly overwhelmed, knackered, imperfect people uh, making a huge difference um, and doing it in a fun, accessible, I hope, um, way. So I will put all the um, links and the details to that in the show notes, which you can find at www.asustainablelife.co.uk. Um, forward slash podcast will be the show notes. Um, So, And if you've got any questions about that, please do drop me an email on jen at sustainableish.co.uk. I think I must be the world's worst marketer. Um, But anyway, if you're interested in that, come and find out more. Uh, Tag me on social media or drop me an email or follow the link on the show notes. So on with today's show. Today I am chatting to a wonderful guy called Paul at Meadow in My Garden all about wildflower meadows in our gardens, almost doing what it says on the tin there. Um, Paul shares with us some amazingly, well, I was gonna say some amazing statistics, but they're kind of amazingly depressing statistics really about um, the decline in our wildflower uh, meadows and the impact that that has had on really important uh, pollinators and things like that which are responsible for just, you know, teeny little things like pollinating the food we eat and things like that. Um, So Paul is absolutely passionate about getting us all rewilding our gardens or little patches of our gardens about um, sowing wildflowers, uh, sowing bulbs, uh, making our gardens more habitable for these really important uh, insects and pollinators and for the ecosystems that sort of build up from there. Um, It was kind of a slightly selfish um, episode in that I basically wanted someone to tell me how to grow wildflowers in my garden because I am the world's worst gardener and we have sort of uh, hopefully scattered wildflower seed around willy-nilly before and not really had much success. But honestly, um, you know, that's slightly tongue-in-cheek. I really think this is such an important episode. Paul's got so much wonderful information about not just how we can do our little bits in our little gardens and how important that is, but how we can come together as communities to create, you know, much more eco and insect friendly villages, towns, verges, roundabouts, all those kinds of things. So I really, really enjoyed this episode and chatting to Paul. I really hope that you enjoy listening to it. And I really hope that it inspires you to make some changes in your garden or maybe even get together with some people in your community to make some changes there as well. So enjoy this one and I will catch you next time. Take care.
1: Hi, Paul. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Nice to be here.
0: Oh, honoured to have you because you're having COVID as well. So I think you're our first COVID. Well, obviously we're (laughs) recording this via Zoom in case anyone starts panicking. But um, yeah, thank you for, you know, dragging yourself out of your sickbed to come and talk
1: to us. My pleasure. <laughs>
0: um, so can can we kick off like we usually do by asking you to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah absolutely so um, yeah so my name's Paul Jupp and um, I've been running Meadow in My Garden which is a non-profit community interest uh, company specializing in in flower meadow seed and uh, I've, been, I've been doing that for over 10 years now so w- what I do um, I've always seen it as, as an attempt to make a contribution um, to the um, general demise of, of nature, you know, um, and um, it's been quite powerful because it, it started really with the idea of, of encouraging people to be a little less tidy in their gardens. Mm. Um, what well, I would say is probably the focus of, of what, what we're doing. It's, a lot of it is based on horticulture. It's based on the notion that, gardens are a very valuable place mm. to start making a difference.
2: Yeah.
1: at least because we have a lot of them. I think there's, um, there are reckoned to be 22 million private gardens in the UK. And that is an interesting number because if you look at the total um, private garden space, um, it's greater, in fact, it's four times greater than all the nature reserves put together. So just that sense of what would happen what would happen if everybody started to recognize that we need to, you know, not only create wildlife-friendly gardens, which mm. is a perspective, it's how can we both have everything we want from our gardens but also accommodate nature. But I tend to think of it differently as, as how can we almost, um, how can we totally prioritize the needs of the mm. natural world so that our ideas for the garden are are completely in tune with uh, with the natural world.
0: Yeah, it feels weird at the moment because it feels like there is this growing awareness of the need for, you know, all the garden centres will have... Um, bee friendly plants and all these things but but yeah. then on the other side we've got people putting in plastic lawns and yeah you know which is completely the antithesis of, of what we need to be doing I don't know if you follow on Twitter there's a Twitter account called shit lawns and it just like oh, yeah. shares all these photos of all these people who just are like absolutely plasticized their gardens basically
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well there was um I suppose it was during the 80s and 90s that the idea of garden rooms became quite popular right it's this this idea that we could extend our homes into the garden and it makes a lot of space uh, sense uh, you know to make um you know to, to make our gardens a place where we can extend the home as long, mm. as, as, long as we do recognize that we share this space and mm. plastic lawns are, are are going through a massive um, you know there's a huge demand for them
0: yeah. It's mental, isn't
1: it? Yeah. It is mental. And I suppose it's that the big disconnect is that people don't stop to think about what happens with the, you know, where, how long does it take for a plastic lawn to degrade? And mm. It's, uh, it, it is massive. Yeah. And so what's your
0: background? How did, how did Meadow in My Garden come about?
1: My background was in, in uh, sales and marketing and general management. So I had much a sort of corporate background up until 2010 I was working in the garden industry for oh, okay. a garden tool manufacturer called Wolf Wolf Tools, and I was managing director there for the UK operation for many years. And really, my my escape route from that world, which, to be honest, it had seemed that you know it seemed for quite a long time that I would need to find a, a way out. Wow! And uh, and it came in the form of a um, uh, insolvency, a sort of worldwide. Situation with Wolf, where it it, uh, sort of overheated. Okay, and it 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 allowed this um, transition into something, which actually, at its core, um, is about changing the way we do business. So Mm. my process had, for a very long time, been about creating an organisation that was um, not not fundamentally based on profit. So, you know, the 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 ethos of what i believe in is very much about kindness and generosity and what might start to happen if we practiced it in a really meaningful way so um it's a difficult one because from a commercial perspective it's not a good strategy yes to keep giving stuff away but i still believe that um, we need and if we if we understand the scale of the challenge we have to think very creatively about different ways of doing things mm. And so I've often thought of it from the point of view of with all of the work that I do, it's about overwhelming positive energy um, whereby you could say to people, if all the conditions were met where we could really remove all the objections to something happening, which would be demonstrably great for nature and would be uplifting and... um, Mm. Then And so the process starts with, you know, taking away all of those negatives, giving people hope and optimism and even providing the seed. You know, if I could mm. actually give you the seed, if there were no budget, would that be enough? Mm. All the understanding, the knowledge, the examples of what have been done elsewhere and, and all of those things. So that really becomes it, it, it's quite a powerful thing because it's at the core of my sense of what this is about mm. um, it's about personal commitment that really connects with the scale of the, of the challenge and, it, and those of us that are aware struggle to often to really um, stay positive in the yes. face of ecological devastation you know it's is, it is difficult to look at the facts and still remain positive so mm. unless unless you're taking action, radical action, there's no reason to feel that there's any, any, mm. any real hope, you know? I mean, you know, other than hopelessness is not a great strategy for making a difference. So you yes. can choose, you can choose hope. But if you really want to believe it, it has to be about changing, um, really fundamentally changing the way we engage with the with the subject.
0: It's that concept of, of active hope, isn't it? I think there's a, a couple of people um, sort of talking about that. And, um, yeah. you know, I think um, Greta's got, there's a lovely quote from her saying something like, um, you know, we don't need hope, we need action, because once we've got the yeah. action, then we, you know, that's when the hope comes and that kind of thing. And you, yeah. um, I just, I jotted down a little, um, thing that I saw on your website and that I just thought was beautiful and I think you might have said it in in the video that's on your website where you say every emerging flower is seen as an uprising of optimism and I just think that's so beautiful and it's so easy to feel overwhelmed isn't it by the enormity of the of the um, climate and the ecological crisis and to feel like well what can I do and on one hand planting a seed might feel an entirely inconsequential act but it's I always say this to people, like, the, the act might seem small, but oftentimes it's the sort of intention behind the act mm-hmm. that is the important thing. Yeah. And I don't know if you feel sort of like that.
1: Yes, I, I, I think you're you're absolutely right. I, I think there is something about not losing hope being about simple actions. And the, the very simplest of actions, like sowing seeds in a small place, you know, s- mm. sowing seeds in a pot, the fact that everybody can do it, the fact that we've sort of fallen out of love with nature in many mm. respects, we've, we've we've lost any sense of connection with seed, which is miraculous mm. and, and and sacred. Mm. And so, if you look at it from a sort of ritualistic point of view, when we engage in this process of scattering seed in the landscape with the view of uh, putting colour back in, mm. seeing what happens when you reconnect people um and and I, I see that as being a very powerful um envisioning because you can look at a space which is devoid of life you look at space which to all intents and purposes has been leached of, oh. of, of all life you know and um that we we have to see how quickly nature can return mm. and, and, and 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 that is human nature as well you know you uh, in so many of the projects we've done community areas verges roundabouts community green spaces what you see is how quickly opinion changes when you show you take a lead in showing what can what can how quickly it can be turned around mm. and it then opens up a whole series of Different thoughts, where you you know you start with any element of you're putting colour back into the landscape, starts to open up people's imagination. Oh, that, this is interesting. I've never somehow I've never noticed that. Mm. Where have I been looking? You know, to have missed a lot of these connections with nature. And for me, it's been about starting with with flora. So it, it's the start process of creating these unbelievably beautiful floral landscapes. And then seeing how quickly nature floods in, you see the, the breadth of insect life and you start to um, be totally engaged with it um, beyond. Yeah, it, cha- it changes, it fundamentally changes. Mm,
0: yeah. And why, why did you pick or, you know, why did you decide on wildflowers as, you know, the, the sort of aspect of gardening, for want of a better word, or, you know, that you wanted to, to focus on?
1: Why are they so important? I guess. I mean, in a sense, I, I, um, I'm a bit of a fraud because I talk a lot about wildflowers, and uh, people will know that we do an awful lot besides. That. Right. I'm, I'm interested in our um, wild landscapes. Mm. So my 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 journey starts in a way with some of the best examples of equilibrium in in the in the wild landscape. And you, you don't have in Wiltshire, we've got these wonderful examples, fairly, you know, it's, it, it, know 25,000 acres of, of wildflower meadow left in the UK. Sounds a lot. But when you think we've lost um, well over a million acres, you know, something about wow. one and a half times the size of Wales has gone um, since the, you know, around the time of the Second World War. So that 98% reduction in these wild landscapes for me starts the process of at what point do we sit up and say we have to reverse this trend, mm. and how can we go about it? And you can't. Um, th- these changes are the result of man-made you know, changes in the way we manage the landscape, farming. So plant. has that
0: been? Has it been that land been lost to farmland? I guess building land, all yeah. sorts of different things. So yeah. Sort of a general encroachment to
1: yeah, general encroachment and and as with all of these things they're they're, they're not monocausal and to some extent we're sitting yes. here scratching our heads saying well I don't know how that happened
0: yes yeah, it doesn't really matter we are
1: just got to reverse it yeah <laughs> um how do you lose the equivalent that uh, one that one and a half million acres of landscape and it, what for me is is significant is that the process of change is such that we It seems to be very gradual. There's there's this extinction of experience. that Mm. What we see as being, you know, we we can often look at a landscape, often in Wiltshire people say, oh, you're so lucky, what a lovely part of the world. Well, yes, that is not untrue, but it is also true that the landscape we look at, which is a green and pleasant land, is leached of the colour, which is a natural part of that world. And that um, it's as a result of, Changes in our um, agriculture fundamentally, and then the spread of urbanisation, general neglect, and and I have to say it's it's um, sort of unfettered greed really
2: drives
1: mm. the process. Uh, and so when you get to that point, you think, well, how do you coming back to the how do you remain hopeful? Mm. You can't believe that we can turn that around. That we're going to somehow change. I think we are. We we must be able to see. Some signs of hope in in agriculture, the environmental land management scheme seems to offer some significant areas of, of, of hope
0: and i think there's there's a lot of talk certainly i've been hearing you know around regenerative agriculture and yeah. and those kinds of things yeah. and, and I would imagine that well, I would hope that you know that that those methods of farming are much more nature friendly
1: yeah, yeah, no very much so and so it's that it is actually that which comes from um, the awareness of what's been lost in terms of wildflowers, and then the response, which is that we must address all of these areas of regenerative practice, which involve a different relationship, particularly in our gardens, where we stop um, imposing our ideas on garden space mm. with, with, with this sort of sense of, of um, imposing um, unnatural landscapes <laughs> and these these thinking about and so our, our main um main, main approach is to help people to create flower rich borders particularly in gardens that are low maintenance so easy to grow mm. low maintenance low watering requirements and in yes. a way it's developing a, te- a gardening technique which is ideal for a change changing Um, landscape addressing climate um, addressing the fact that gardens are you know we're going to struggle with drought we Mm. are struggling with drought and um, um, so um, finding ways of developing communities of plants that will be very resistant and will you know not only be beautiful but will create landscapes that are a rich source of forage for Mm whole whole range of of insects
0: that's the thing isn't it that these wildflowers they're not just pretty you know beautiful to look at and um that sort of thing it's the fact that they're they're the sort of base layer if you like for this whole pyramid ecosystem there's the insects and then that brings with it the birds and all that sort of thing so they are hugely hugely important as in that support for that ecosystem and those pollinators that are so important for us
1: yeah very very much so and and um in a in a way the what we've been doing is a almost a seduction process. people are um overwhelmed by the beauty, but the beauty i always say is a byproduct, and really the functionality is the important thing so whenever you look at these uh flower rich meadows, they are teeming with life mm. um, and that that depth of you know so it's it's, it's not just the it's not just the obvious things, it's not it's not just the honeybees and, and even the bumblebees and the solitaries, but there are so many, so many species of insects that we haven't even got round to identifying yes. yet. It's that understanding that these little critters are actually running the planet, whether we yeah. see it or not.
0: And and do they I don't know if you know this, but do they have any impact, wildflower meadows, on the quality of the soil underneath them? I mean, presumably oh, it's got yeah, to be
1: better yeah. than um yeah.
0: farmland, but
1: yeah, I mean, um, a big part of what we're doing is is about soil health. So uh, most of what we're creating are, involves annual and perennial species. And the whole idea being that we're not constantly messing with the soil. Mm. And we're letting soils pretty much, you know, and there are occasions where you need to remove vegetation in order to start the process of mm. um, you know, creating a changing, changing the vegetation in some way. Mm. But once you start that process, you realise how much um, health there is coming into soil. So with with some of our mixtures, for instance, then fixing nitrogen in the soil, so they're soil conditioning. Mm. The whole idea of this creating an equilibrium is that we don't then need to be constantly trying to remove what we think, you know, the unwanted vegetation,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um, which... um, you know, often the the issue is bet- having a better understanding of what the benefits of certain species are. Mm. Um, so, you know, the whole idea of a you know wildflower is just a plant in the wrong place. Yes. But also, wildflower is a um, a weed is a is a, a plant that we uh, haven't fully understood the benefits of. You know.
0: Yes. Um, and I loved what you were talking about the the projects that you've done, and and you mentioned roundabouts, and I'm like, God, that feels a real no brainer. Why aren't all our roundabouts just a, an abundant mass of wildflowers and a sort of haven mm. for insects and things amongst the, the roadworks. Is, is that feasible for councils to, to do that? And why aren't they all doing it?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I, I think one of the start points with that is that in that process of, of sort of disconnect with nature, often we've, we, we've, we've stopped really looking carefully at, at, at what these roundabouts might Mm. look at a roundabout most councils now manage their roundabouts um, by outsourcing so they start from the point of view that this is work that we would rather not be doing ourselves many of the roundabouts certainly in this area are managed by an organization called market force so market force i think they're based in northamptonshire are an organization that sort of says The roundabouts are a valuable place to advertise for businesses. Mm -hmm. If we put up a plaque that says sponsored by Specsavers, and and therefore they will um, generate an income uh, in order to manage that space. Mm -hmm. The management of that space is usually by cutting it to within an inch of its Mm -hmm. luck. So you often get these rather strange landscapes with rather strangely hacked Uh, so, so, you know, there'll be grass fundamentally, and there'll be some bushes yes. that regularly maintained by turning them into, um, well, you know, they look like man-made structures. Yes. To change that, you you have to have a have a discussion with with stakeholders. You know, mm. you have to talk to councils. You have to talk to the public and say, what do we, do we like this? Do we think it represents good value for money? Do we um do we think we could do better? And certainly, with the work we've been doing, it involves engaging volunteer groups to have a conversation, usually with a council, where you might say, Would you be prepared to let us have this space
2: mm.
1: selectively? Could we take some of those roundabouts out of the scheme
2: mm.
1: and do something different with them? And then demonstrating what what the benefits of that are. And with some of the work that we've been doing, which is now we're talking four or five years, of regular maintenance, you start to see that it, it represents a really good alternative. It's low cost, it's low maintenance. Really? People love it, people drive the long way home to see these things. Really? People... <laughs>
0: well, maybe we don't want
1: to be increasing people's driving emissions. but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Exactly. But there is something about the, the thing you mentioned, the uprising of optimism, mm. which comes from this change of practice where people are moved in a way which is way beyond a little you know, hundred square meters of flowers.
2: Mm.
1: Mm. You know, on one level it's, it's, you know, we, we scatter a few boxes of seed. We do it with love and kindness and generosity. We um, engage with the process. So, you know, it doesn't, life isn't always, you know, horticulture isn't always easy. Yes, There will be disappointments. There will be unexpected outcomes. Not everybody will love wildflowers. You know, there will be people that say, well, actually I prefer the grass. I like, you know, I would prefer to see it paved over. Wow, yeah yeah um, that, that, there must be people out there that, that are averse to seeing this kind of change but leading by example and starting to make things happen and what what I've found with our work is that people regularly going past will be changed in some way they, they're not always quite sure how it's changed <laughs> it can improve your day yeah yeah you? you know your, your journey to work will have been changed by that and when you yeah. get them, absolutely the peak flowering in the summer and you you might if you were if you were walking most people are probably not but if you were walking past you would literally hear the buzz of this, and that's powerful and uh there's a sort of process that's amazing i I hadn't noticed that before yes what's happening who's done that and why have they done it and where where else might we do it Mm. could i do it in my garden and could we encourage businesses to be more involved Mm. And so you get all of those creative outcomes where, where businesses start say, so, yeah, well, we could we'd be happy to sponsor around about if it looked that good.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What would that be worth? And, and you, you get all of those things. So verges and all manner of little unloved patches around yes. the town start to then become on people's people will look and go, well, do you know maybe, maybe we could do something. And it and it might not it might not be about filling it with wildflowers, maybe it's filling it with bulbs in the
2: autumn. Mm-hmm
1: you know heaven forefend planting a tree you know yes. a few fruit trees could go there's a whole yeah yeah process yeah of saying let's just change we, we this is an emergency let's treat it like an emergency and let's fully engage and think mm. about what, are the, what is the action we're taking on the front foot you know, while we're busy talking about could every roundabout go this way let's do something yes so examples of what might happen
0: and you know, when um, just just thinking about you talking about all these different ways that could happen, like lots of councils, I don't know if um, divisors do the same, but in Wormster they'll often have like hanging baskets. And yeah. is is there a potential for them to be wildflowers rather than whatever they put in them? I'm not a not very gardeny person, and, yeah. and would that be you know, is is there an advantage to that over you know a bedding plant?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I've got nothing against bedding. Plants per se. I mean, I have actually got quite. That's a <laughs> <lot of them. laughs> of lie, um, barefaced lie. But I think they are much loved, and I, mm. and I don't think it's a war. I think all yeah, flowers. are does have to be either or. Yeah. And if we're kind of thinking about what what else might you do other than bedding plants? Bedding plants are pretty sterile, They're right? Feeding. Um, they're not going to be feeding pollinators but
0: they're not great for pollinators
1: no so mo- most of you know most of mm-hmm. those bedding plants are not not really providing any natural mm-hmm. pollen because of the way they've been bred and, and yes as, yeah. uh, from an environmental perspective they're really expensive there's a yeah. lot of used in in the production of those plants
0: probably lots of peat and all sorts as well
1: yeah yeah peat composts and neonicotinoids and, and other chemicals yeah yeah um and then you know they go into a bed for a few months and then they all get dug up
0: yes yeah releasing all that carbon
1: yeah there are other things we could start to consider in terms of wild um, pots and troughs and, mm. and 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 that's very much what we're doing so it starts with a an understanding of how much better value mm. these uh, alternatives would represent
2: yeah
1: and, and and also the you know in a way what we're doing is creating a new flowering technique um, which is is still in its infancy mm. because because we're quite conservative in the way we do things. So we, we're still, uh, for me, a lot of those sort of municipal bedding plant schemes. Yes, they, they look, you know, they 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 just look out of date. You know, they they sort Yes, of, they look like Victorian. Well, you know, they were popular in the seventies. Yeah, know? yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But do you think though that there's um, because I was doing some work with a um, a local school and you know this idea that if we had, you know, wildflower sections or whatever, or we planted wildflower beds, there's not that same perception of care. Do you does, do you understand what I mean? That, that And yes. it's the same with people letting their front gardens grow, you know, wild and that sort of thing. Yes. And there's this like, oh, well, you're just being lazy or you're just, oh, that mm. looks really messy. And we couldn't have mm. that around the school or we couldn't have that around because it just, and pe- you know, people, it just looks messy. And yes. we need to somehow... Challenge
1: that i guess yeah it's it's very true and and i i think i think if we if we're talking about just letting nature express itself so if we start with the whole you know the no mo making Mm, yes which has really taken off it does mean that people are just stopping and saying do i need to be cutting my lawn at this time do i do we need to be cutting these verges because there are flowers there and some of those flowers i mean particularly flowers like dandelions that people Mm. put providing such a useful food source early in the season when there's very few other food sources
0: so the idea just quickly for anyone who hasn't heard of no Mo may is literally it is what it says on the tin it's don't don't mow your lawn for the month of may isn't it and allow all those
1: dandelions
0: and all those things to come up because as you said they're really vital food sources for you know pollinators and things that are emerging early and um yeah it's 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 funny though because we did it as you know in in my um membership in my knackered mums eco club last year the arguments that we that that all the mums ended up having with their husbands because it seems to be very much a like i'm going to go out and mow the lawn thing (laughs) that that, you know that's the men's contribution to the household is to go and mow the lawn and having to have these arguments with them about not doing a job seemed quite ironic (laughs)
1: Uh, yeah yeah And, and you know old habits die hard so it can be um, it can appear unsightly. Mm. People often feel it. It looks um, like you can't be bothered. Yes. In terms of managing that with with na- neighbours, might well look over the fence and sort of say, "Are you, you going to? You know, are you going to do anything?" Yes, then?
0: especially if it's a front garden as well, or if you're sharing a, a front. You yeah. know, if you've got a um yeah. a not, no, not a fence or anything down your front garden. I think it's often a bit yeah. like. Ooh. So some people said they had their neighbours going. Do you, do you want me to just run the mower over that for you? No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and. So, you know, quite often it makes a huge difference if there were an area of your lawn that you were letting go and you were looking to in, in, encourage more diversity and mm. some that, if you create a border so that it's framed in some way,
2: mm.
1: that can make a big difference. And you know how it looks if you've got a, a, an artful path through the middle of a... Mm, yes, yes, it suddenly looks, yeah. ...it can be really useful. And we're... Always looking from a horticultural perspective, looking at how we can mix up all of these techniques. So, with a roundabout, we're not just leaving it for wildflowers, we're really creating a low maintenance design, which possibly in the center of the tree, uh, the center of the roundabout might have a a rowan tree or something. And then you'll have other planting. There'll be groups of plants introduced as plug plants. There'll be seed used. There'll be underplanting of bulbs. Mm. So, you get a kind of fusion which you might look at it and say it's a wildflower meadow because it is an absolute profusion of colour mm-hmm. probably a lot of wildflowers but it's a lot more than that and our technique is about creating um, very technical mixtures of seed for every kind of situation so you can then start to think well does it you know is it shady or is it sunny mm-hmm. is it a difficult soil is it is it builders rubble or is it a fairly mm. fertile soil and all the different things in between. Is, is it little, you know, we have a mixture called cracks and crevices, which is really designed just to fill those gaps that quite often, certainly in this village, get sprayed off mm. with glyphosate because they're seen as, as uh, untidy. Mm-hmm. Start to introduce um, color, it changes the way people actually, you know, there is a better way of doing this a little bit of gentle weeding, of unwanted vigorous. Mm-hmm. With, adding new things so it's that um that idea really of of um there there's no space that we can't fill with something which is you know and this can be tiny little pots and Mm -hmm. around the the landscape and you see how much space has been tamed and straight jacked yes yes and so we start a process which is can we have a discussion with people which says How about that? do you like this or do you like a bit more of that? Mm. And it is important that we stay open to these discussions. And I found myself with all the community projects we're involved with, which are many now up and down the length. We start close to home. So everything is based on um, being really committed in our environments. But soon we got, you know, neighbouring towns and villages. Mm. It spreads really like, like wildfire. And soon you've got people coming and saying, Well, are, are you able to give us the benefit of what you've done? And 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 of course, that's very much what we what we try to do. And, and part of that is not only the technical mm. advice, but the motivation, the kind of firing people up. So I'd love to visit groups and so say, do it. Yes. You know, have you not been listening? This is an emergency. Mm-hmm. How long have you been talking about Enough
0: this? Enough talking, yeah. Come let's on.
1: yeah. Let's just do something. Mm, mm. Catalyst that you know when when somebody sort of says, "Look, if there's a budgetary consent, we will give you the seed." Wow! Yeah, yeah. We we must not um, miss these opportunities, and it does change. You know, and, it, and it's infectious.
2: Mm.
1: What starts to happen for me as well is when we start this process of well, let's focus 100 percent on the positives. When you have issues people have said to me well we've tried it before these wildflowers they're not as easy as you make out Mm -hmm. they'll be vandalized the council will only come and spray it off right yeah 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 you know the kids will come and wreck it Mm -hmm. we're over there's so much negativity yes yeah and so we have to find this way of you just okay gently sweep it yes you're probably right there will be disappointment yes if not things don't always work Mm -hmm. out Mm -hmm. Just what if we could just for a moment put to one side all of those objections? And yes. What if somebody said they would sponsor us and give us 10,000 bulbs? Mm. Of times that's happened when somebody's like, it's all very well. I don't know who's going to give you all these bulbs. We say, well, let's just ask nicely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what have we got to lose? Yeah. People do. That, that, you know, you start asking the question, going off at a slight tangent. But bulbs, I think, are a really powerful thing, particularly with this community activism, because... Everyone can do it. They don't have the same complexities. You know, daffodils, you can plant them upside down, they'll still come up. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah. you know, school groups. And, yes, know. yeah. So this idea of let's think ambitiously about not planting just a few hundred bulbs, but tens of thousands of bulbs in every town and village.
2: Mm.
1: And then you'd invite, it becomes an inclusive process where you say, let's invite every single group um, whether it's the scouts or the brownies or the beavers or the wi or the lions mm-hmm. or the rotary or the and 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 you just say you have, we're having a party this october we hope to plant 500,000 bulbs as part wow. of a, mix, a river of gold and you see how quickly yeah yeah that yeah idea, so <laughs> half a million bulbs where <laughs> do, you, yeah. do you realize the scale of this challenge and so well, okay you know 50 people turned out last weekend and planted 10,000 bulbs just, you know, in a, in a small town in, in Wiltshire. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Just escalate yeah. this sense of different elements of activism. Mm. And I, I have a strong sense that we're still only scratching the surface of that. We, are, we see so many signs of it, don't we? You know, mm. the pandemic has brought about a lot of a shift in consciousness. And, and and yeah step by step we see the scale of change that's necessary
0: I adore that idea of just like yeah contacting every every different group in your town and inviting them to I guess in any pockets of space that they're responsible for or have access to just yeah. chucking in as many paths as they yes. you know is it a bit like trees though it has to be that you know the, we talk about the right tree in the right place at the right is it sort of as important or can as you said with bulbs they're a lot
1: more forgiving and you can just sort of I, well I mean that's a lovely point actually Jane because I I think it's really important but it's funny we we tend to be very precious about the appropriateness of various um species and then it comes to daffodils and all bets are off we can't give them monkeys. <laughs> yeah. so I mean my preference and the 10,000 bulbs we planted in, in one project last year are all native Narcissi, but they're also quite expensive because no one's growing them. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No one grows them in the UK. Mm, mm. So there's a bigger issue, but I don't think you can go far wrong with an argument let's get loads of mixed bulbs. Yeah. 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 Try and be sensitive, you know. So if if we know that these are sensitive spaces, like, you know, in in our in Freshford, the village here, the rewilding of the tiling is a big project. And, and of course, all of the bulbs that have been selected are, are right for that space
0: right yeah 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 but
1: you know it, 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 there's 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 no place where you can't find you know if mm. you put bulbs, we'll put them somewhere and it doesn't matter in most in most towns i don't think uh you know finding a space for a few um very yeah. old, some of the more blousy daffodils are not quite to my taste but mm. there's a place for them
0: and i guess that the talking about that sort of optimism bit the the, one of the brilliant things about wildflowers and bulbs and things like that is that it's relatively speaking a quite immediate impact whereas when you're talking about tree planting or something or you know more general climate action it's very intangible very hard to see that you've made a difference very hard to feel like you've had an impact whereas with something like this you know you plant them in October you see them in the spring or you you, yeah. you know you, and you oh wow we did that we made that happen and yeah. you, you start to see the knock-on benefits of that and I think there's that's hugely powerful, isn't it? When we talked about how hard it can be sometimes to maintain that sort of, that hope and that resilience and things like that, to, but to be able to look at something really tangible and go, we, we did that,
1: that's great. Yeah, 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 I think so. And, and it seems to me as well, you know, those events that really galvanised the community, where people feel like, well, "Wow, do you, do you remember that day we came together?"
0: And bringing different groups together, I think, is so powerful because yeah. oftentimes there's so much sort of overlap, but they're all just all off in their different silos, doing their different things, and never coming yeah. together.
1: No, that's right. And it, and it, once you've started that level of engagement, you sort of say, "Well, what, what else should, could we do? Should we have another date? You know, let's 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 have a have a community picnic and do something else." Yeah, and, yeah. Then yeah. And there's all of these different things that will. Um, um, result in a in a, a richer more vibrant landscape that people are f- sensing is they're they're deeply connected to mm, yeah the yeah. place is an important element it's finding those things that from my experience because we've had disappointments you know we've had events that haven't been well supported we've had a lot of negativity on the back of certain things right so you you have to keep learning and so what so mm. worked well and what are the you know the common common ground is that mm. if cares actually and and wants to do something wants to be involved in some way not everyone wants to join a committee not everybody wants to sign up to a you know not everyone wants to be radical mm-hmm. but, you know I, there are very few people um, given a sunny day if you're lucky enough with the weather yes turn out with their kids and say let's, you know give, grab a trowel what do i have to do you know tell me how i, I dig a hole and put a bulb is that it
0: <laughs> now where's the ice cream? Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah what was thinking, exactly. Yeah, I, I believe there were cakes on the. Uh, yes,
0: <laughs> it's all cakes on the poster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh Looking at gardens, and this is primarily from a purely selfish perspective, um mm. wanting to to do some bits in our garden, and we have tried in the past to plant wildflowers, and nothing has come up. So, what are we doing wrong?
1: That start point, and it's not unusual. I mean, I've been doing garden shows um up to 20 or so a year for 10 years so i hear these comments from yes students. yeah you know i don't tell me where i went wrong yeah. I, I, I did everything that i was asked to do i bought the seeds quality seeds you know i bought them from my local garden center i did followed all the instructions not one came up yeah yeah what yeah. accusatory about it come on you <laughs> you are in some way responsible yes you're yes responsible. your fault so there, there's a kind of process of finding what is the right thing to do and, and I think always we approach these things from a permaculture perspective so the whole start point has to be taking time to fully understand what you've got what it might have been in the past what you want it to be in the future so a sense of it's no good saying I've got this grass I've I've dreamt of it being full of wildflowers I bought some seeds and scattered them on the grass and nothing happened mm-hmm. and I want to <laughs> my money back at the very least <laughs> so there's a sort of thing you know um it is people want quick resp- results yes know,
0: yeah
1: yeah wouldn't it be great if you could just scatter seeds on the grass and, it and they be...
0: sprung up like magic the next morning Yes. Yeah.
1: the um first thing um just to mention was that we were lucky enough to have some help from a brilliant filmmaker who's been doing some lovely work for us um free And we've added uh, on our website a new video, which is an introduction to the range. So there are 30 different seed mixtures for every kind of situation. So the start point is sort of thinking about all of those different things in your garden. So if it's grass, what sort of grass is it? Is it a a, um, a really fertile ground? Um, Could you get wildflowers established in the grass or might you remove some of the grass and turn it into a wildflower border? And if you were doing that, what lies beneath? You know, is it, is it a decent soil or is it a, is it a building site? Right. And um, So there's, there's taking a lot of time to think about that. And sometimes my experience is that you need to step back and look at it for a while. So let's, let's say you've got a lawn and you dream of it being something other than just grass. Mm-hmm. And it keeps being mown to within an inch of its life, possibly by um, a man on a, a wild one. I've just a sweeping generalization, but <laughs> um so uh you you need to think about what would be the conditions that might allow other species to grow. And firstly, grass can be a bit of a thug. So you need mm. to think about pretty roughing up that ground. So that's that can be a challenge because people have spent a lot of time trying to make create the perfect bowling mm. And you don't want to necessarily have to remove maybe 50% of the grass to expose the soil but that's what you would need you'd need to you know all of this flowering succession is the result of animal disturbance and so we we have to disturb the ground
0: so is that literally going in with a fork and you know turning it over
1: yeah scarifying roughing up sort of breaking up the ground um digging up the ground if there were mole hills on a, you know those would be a perfect area right. to get wildflowers established and you would then Having wrecked your lawn, you could scatter some native wildflowers, perennials mostly, into that space, and then it needs a lot of patience because there's a competition with the grass. You'll know of yellow rattle, I'm sure, it gets talked about a lot. It's a hemi-parasitic annual plant that will help to um, reduce the vigor of the grass. Oh, okay. It's actually a hemi-parasite that so it's taking nutrient from the grass um, and and then making space for wildflowers. That can be a bit of a Of a prerequisite really for wildflower lawn creation. Yeah. You have to start with the recognition though that in most gardens, most soils are more fertile than they need be. Right. Most things. And therefore, it can be a constant battle. And people who are really doing it seriously often have to remove all of the topsoil. So, sowing a new wildflower lawn into a Mm. poor subsoil. At that point, you'd be going, well, why? <laughs> Why do you change that garden? I thought you
0: said this was low maintenance.
1: <laughs> so it could be an idea, which is where most of our work comes in, where you might say, well, OK, there there are reasons to have a bit of grass for practical purposes or mm. city on or uh, paths, and what have you. But mm. you think about areas of the lawn that you you lose in favour of a flower-rich border that you can keep going over a number of years and and that's really what we're catering for. So it's it's sort of filling the garden with a wild style of of, of, uh, of floral, mm-hmm. and it's and it's really popular because it, you know what people realise when when it's done well, having done it for ten years, you know we're we're constantly looking, you know, testing everything, and everything is is very thoroughly researched. Um, you you realise that um, the results are pretty staggering and um and people are encouraged to to, to do it and, i mean essentially no one needs a lot of encouragement to, to think about losing the lawn you know mm. it's a lot of work it's sterile it's not really in most cases it's got quite disappointing you've got to invest a lot of energy in a lawn to make it yeah yeah yeah. Lawn,
0: yeah
1: a lawn that you hoped for
0: my friends have got and they're really lucky, they've got quite a big garden and they've got a, a sort of area where they've planted like a mini orchard and they've mm. made a wildflower meadow like within, you know, around that. And it looks absolutely beautiful. But they said it's taken them like three or four years to to really get it established. Is that quite typical?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think um, if you're looking at wildflowers, um, it takes patience.
0: Mm. See, that's probably where I'm going wrong.
1: <laughs> uh, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, patience is can be a, a challenge, but I think it's it's finding the right thing in gardens. And if you don't have the patience to spend years and years trying to create the perfect wildflower lawn, yeah, I mean, maybe try a bit of that. But if mm. you want something else to be going on, then create another flower meadow border, which will give you that immediate. Mm.
0: Okay, so so if I so when you talk about creating a flower meadow border, if I literally dig a border in the you know down one side of my garden. Yeah. Walk it all over, sprinkle on some seeds and match. So like we're recording this um, sort of mid-late March. Is this about the right time of year?
1: Really good time. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, um, I, I'm always careful to um, advise not to rush too much because, it, of course, we've had a lovely weekend mm. when we did have a frost last night. And yes. Sowing, uh, sowing is always best left with the, with the, an, the um, annual and perennial spring sown mixtures. They're sown typically March to June.
0: Oh, okay. So we have still got some time.
1: I would say April and May is usually the best time to sow. So exactly that area where you might consider creating a new border, essentially scattering seeding, uh, doing that in April or May is perfect. And that will be in flower, in, you know, within about six or seven weeks, you'll see the first examples of flower. And it'll flower right the way through the um, the summer.
0: And do I need to do it? Because you were saying that a lot of gardens you know the soil is almost too rich so do you need to do anything like puts i I, I'm, I might have read this somewhere i might have just made it up like sprinkling some sand down or something you know mixing something in to to make the soil less good
1: um you you don't really need to do anything other oh, I like than, that. yeah i mean just work with what you're what's in your garden most yeah, soil yeah. will be perfectly okay okay if you found that your soil you know, if you know you've got a, a really fertile soil, then choose a mixture that is going to cope with a slightly more fertile low mm. sort of soil whereas if you know your your soil was 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 uh, the result of builders who were, mm-hmm. who were just dumping um, you know uh, builders' rubble then, yeah, then, yeah. then there are things that would work in that kind of area as well. there are things for dry, sandy soils there are things for impoverished soils there are things that will work well in shade and that. That's all of those different um, conditions, but I think to, just to keep it simple, if you know, in an average garden, removing the competition so if it's lawn, stripping the grass, turning over the soil, so you've got a nice fine soil structure and sowing them any of our um, there are so many different ones that would work really well in that situation, yeah. And then there are other things we do one called short and sweet, a mixture which is designed, it'll work as a standalone meadow, but you could scatter that in between other plants oh, okay. So it then becomes a low maintenance alternative to weeding
0: yeah 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 because they're soil
1: health. Yeah. soil health and natural balance because these are very very good natural pest control mixtures they're good for aphid control oh, okay you're selling them around your roses you are immediately going to have a, a much happier yeah. rose garden. and they grow in those places where you know where otherwise if you if you just keep clearing them the weeds will take advantage yeah
0: yeah 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 and it a lot
1: of a lot of unnecessary work and a lot of meddling with the soil.
0: Yeah. And then what happens after it's, you know, it it in the summer it looks beautiful and it's flowered and then um as the season goes on it sort of dies off. And then are you left with a sort of messy looking, straggly, weedy looking area? What happens yeah. over the autumn
1: and the winter? It's true that you will go from the, the incredible beauty to something which is uh, the faded blooms with start to look less sightly, some, in some ways, I think we have to adjust our mm. perception of that because we were doing um, some filming, um, cutting back the meadow at the end of the year in one of the community projects. And the area that I had planned to sign on this day, which was in October, on this day was, it was a bright sunny day. And, and it highlighted that a lot of the um, dried vegetation was now full of spiders' webs.
2: Oh, wow.
1: And there were spiders' webs there because there's rich insect life going mm, on. That's mm. what we created. And so we have to stop again As sort I of say, well, do I have to do this?
0: We want to, we want to tidy it up, don't we? We want to tidy everything the whole time, yeah. So the
1: thing of tidying is, you know, sometimes you'll decide, yes, I need to step in. You know, you know there's always going to be some damage that we make. Mm. So there, there will always be some point at which we're potentially going to be damaging some life.
0: Yeah.
1: so we have to think carefully about it. And, and I think if you have a big enough garden, therefore you'd be going, well, do you know, I'm really starting to enjoy the spiders in that area. I can mm. to overwinter and I'll come back to that bit in the spring. This bit, it's a prominent part of the garden. I'd really like it to look tidy. I'm going to clear it. And once it's cleared, you're probably going to get, if it's an annual perennial mixture, you will have a, a stubble.
0: So you you literally like you were talking about siding it, but if you've got a border or something, you would chop it down to what ankle height, or
1: yeah, yeah, just with a pair of choppers, choppers. You know, any any sort of suitable equipment. You know, um, shears are absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. For that. And then what you'll see, you know, I, I I don't advocate particularly just getting in and removing everything. I would tend to look carefully because there'll be some things you that, that uh, there's still life in them. You know, okay, yeah, yeah. So, but it's that clearing out, removing unwanted vegetation, always removing uh, anything that is going to rot down and provide too much fertility in the soil.
2: Right, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so essentially cutting back and clearing is the process and, and, and using that as a, t- as, a, as a time to really experience the, the life in the meadow. Mm,
0: yeah. And do you, um, I think I saw something on your website about, you know, like saving the seed heads and things like that. Is that, what's the sort of time of year to be doing that?
1: absolutely yeah and at the end of the season um once the full life cycle of a plant is finished and particularly with the annual meadows you'll see that that's more or less finished by the end of the summer all of those flowers have you know they've, 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 they're spent mm-hmm. and, and, and and seed is being scattered so it's a good time to um c- catch all that seed and then and then re-sow it in the spring because much of it will be otherwise be wasted you know, people often say, Well, surely the annuals will set their seed and, and off we go again. Well, of course, annuals produce so much seed because much of it is wasted.
0: Uh, okay,
1: so it's going to be feeding insects, is going to be, um, yeah, not going to germinate. Yeah. So, this idea of collecting is, I think, is again another powerful event really during the year when mm. you you've observed the whole life cycle from the sowing of the seed through to this um, end of life. Mm. and then then we're into the next phase and if you can collect seed and reuse it in your own garden or elsewhere add it into a community Mm -hmm. bank that's um really worth doing uh but um but but if you don't we have plenty yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) so so we've um I'm just trying to think like so we've we've gone and we've sort of chopped it down and then so the, the next spring in that same place Will it all just miraculously
1: appear again, or do we need to plant yeah. some more seeds? It, it will it, it, miraculously. Yes, there will be new life, Amazing. and those plants. There'll be some annuals of set seed, but there will be perennials that have been getting their roots down over that longer period. Mm-hmm. Biennial plants that will then. So people, it's always a joy. I was at a beekeeping event in in near Coventry last weekend, and somebody who'd bought seeds at another beekeeping event three or four years before french guy came over to sir so just wanted to say it's been amazing just how much they've come you know i've been so been so enjoying three or four years in all of these little surprises
2: oh amazing
1: oh lovely yes it. otherwise otherwise what are we doing we we yes start, we it back we clear it we start again yeah right we've got to be looking at this this the, the longer life yeah and so um the, the only little caveat i was add to that is that Things do not go on forever, yes, and it doesn't you know you don't just oh there's wonderful meadow it's done. Done for ten years. You have to understand that there there will be um there's a cycle there 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 are phases of growth for different plants, every plant has its has its role to play, and eventually you will find dominant grasses will likely if you did nothing, you find over time it'll it'll revert to scrub and eventually right
0: be. so then you dig up those bits of grass and
1: you gently start to remove that you know how do you keep it going how do you add things which 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 add excitement and you know so I love the idea of this sort of fusion planting where in, in the autumn you might underplant with bulbs then add some autumn sowing perennial and annual speed uh, mixes
0: so when would they come up if you if you had some autumn sowing stuff yeah. when would so they come the
1: up autumn, with the autumn planting the whole processes earlier so oh, okay. if you were to sow autumn not all the mixtures can be sown in the autumn mm-hmm. some are best sown in the autumn so anyway all the details are on the website yeah 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 it's just that some of the annuals are not quite hardy enough for autumn so right yeah 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 so if you were sowing in the autumn september October is the time to sow and then many of those are going to be in flower now already yeah March April may is going to be a strong flower season, whereas otherwise you're waiting to June July August into the autumn.
0: So, can you almost do a sort of um, succession thing, whereby you, so like you say, in the autumn you plant some, um, put some bulbs down in the soil, and you scatter your autumn flowering seed, and mm. then come the spring, as these are starting to come up, you're scattering some other bits in between.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's what we do is never just one thing, and I I try not to. I'm I'm just uh, experimenting, playing with it. What we've learned is mm, that. Mm. You can play with these different communities of, of plants. And so you can have a more of a sort of traditional herbaceous border, but you can give it a wilder mm. by less less um, careful management, filling in the spaces with wildflowers, yeah, and yeah. planting with bulbs, so that the whole thing is much richer. Yes. And then any unwanted vegetation. So if there are weeds in there, you won't see them. And you know, they're lost in the mix of it. The- mm. chances are they're gonna be doing something very valuable.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: But you know, it's you know, so many plants are doing something that we didn't understand, you know, yes. Like, like I mentioned, dandelion. You know, dandelions are the perfect pioneer plant. They're they're known as dynamic accumulators. And that's to say that the reason people hate them because they are so, they're so vigorous. And that deep taproot they put down into the ground is there for a reason. It's drawing up nutrients from deep in the soil to the top of the soil where they can be better used. Mm. So all of, all the plants that follow in the succession of, of dandelions will better, you know, and it's mm. really understanding all of those connections and, and not demonising any particular plant, yes. you know, waging war on the soil. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. And then, just before we finish, for anyone who's looking to plant in pots and things like that, is there any tips for for doing that? And what's the best time of year to do that? I guess
1: planting in pots is best done in the spring, um, April and May mm-hmm. would be the best target months. We have the easiest mixture; we call uh, floral planters. So that's a really simple mixture of annuals, which are really, it's easy to grow. You know, um, we do, we do use it with schools a lot because it's quite oh, nice. Annual. Yeah, yeah. Um, not too complex and relatively short, so it doesn't need a lot of care and attention. To so say it's called floral planters, but any of those annual mixtures will do well in pots and you can just scatter in pots of any size without any particular care really. And not
0: not putting um compost and stuff in because that would be too
1: uh, much for it. Not too much fertility. I would say a mixture of fifty percent compost, fifty percent garden soil is okay mix, you know. A bit of sand, a bit of grit in there can be yeah. quite useful. And if you had a load of pots, I would say line them all up down the side of the garden and then just scatter various seed mixtures over the top. And press down into the soil. They don't need any more. Just don't cover them up. Just press them in the soil. Oh, okay. Remember to water in the first, you know, first couple of weeks is critical. Putting them under a bit of cover at this time of year might just bring them on. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. Greenhouse or, or, or just preventing them from, um, you know, if there is still any, any frost. I would then suggest that once you've got these pots, by the summer, they're usually absolutely full of colour. You can then use them around the border. You know, when you've got borders that are a little bit... Mm. So you can then sort of reposition these pots to add... Oh, a little,
0: so the whole pot rather uh, than just digging uh, stuff up. Whole
1: thing. Yeah. And then the whole thing at the end of the season can actually go in the ground if you, if, you, if it's pot-bound. And then, of course, it's oh, like a, yeah, yeah, a big plug yeah. plant then. Yeah. You know, it can be quite a big root. Yes, root. <laughs> Um, but it's um that that's a really good thing to do as well
0: oh amazing thank you so much this uh, really infused me to well I might need to be patient and wait until as you said it's just that little bit warmer Make till this time next month and then get out there and um get planting so um
1: yeah.
0: any sort of what did you say what's the easiest one for idiots like me to get started with
1: uh, well floral planters that's floral it. planters yeah brilliant and uh, as i say look at the um uh look at the video on on choosing the right seed mix mm, yeah that can be quite helpful as well uh, and and yeah I mean, we're here to help so we try and you know we're, we're always at we don't charge for our advice if people want to send us pictures or yeah we're, we're always up for helping in any way we can and, and particularly if people have got ideas about doing something in their community
2: mm. contact
1: us today and start that process of well okay who do i need to talk to um because it can just planning it can take you know you need to get than you. exactly what you know as with all things planning is absolutely key and the yeah. better preparation the better the results
0: oh this is absolutely amazing thank you so i mean wouldn't it be gorgeous if a we've got some people you know sending you some pictures go. what do i do with this garden but b, you know saying right okay you've fired me up to approach some community groups in or approach the town council or whatever it might be and, and um, yeah. get something started. It'd be absolutely wonderful. Um, can you remind people or or tell people what the website is and you've got some brilliant social feeds as well, haven't you?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's meadowinmygarden.co.uk. Brilliant. And we're we're quite active on Twitter. That's Meadow in Garden. And then the, the other stuff is yeah Facebook Meadow in my garden. Uh, Instagram is Meadow in my garden. Brilliant. Um yeah
0: brilliant i'll put all those in the show notes Um, absolutely marvelous thank you so much for your time and thank you for um, yeah especially with your Mm -hmm. (laughs) lingering lingering covid as well so thank you so much you've been listening to sustainable ish you wonderful sack of loveliness with me jen gale